Welcome to Business Steps Up, a presentation of HIALI, one of the recognized voices in Long Island business. We'll focus on cutting-edge topics important to the Bi-County region and beyond. So sit back, relax, and listen to some of Long Island's most influential business leaders here on Business Steps Up. Good morning, everyone. Um, and welcome to the HIALI Small Business Task Force Open Forum, Creative Solutions for a Productive Workforce Now. My name is Tony Joy Candela. I'm the office manager with the HIALI. We are thrilled to see everyone here this morning. Um, and we also have um, people joining us through our live stream on Facebook and YouTube. So um, welcome and thank you for those who are joining us virtually as well as today in person. Um, this is our first hybrid event of 2021, so we're really excited to be able to see everybody once again, um, see faces and kind of give social distance hugs, things like that. So, um, so really excited. So we have several board members with us here today. Um, we just want to thank all of our board members who play a critical role in moving our initiatives forward on a daily basis. So um, some of them that we do actually have here with us this morning. So just wanted to make mention of those who are present with us. Um, one of them being Rita Stefano. We have Joe Garofalo and Elena Zolfo. So if you could please stand and just we'll give you a, a quick applause. Thank you so much. And again, for any of those, we may have some also joining us virtually this morning. So thank you and thank you for all that you do for the HIALI. Um, we'd also like to thank Joe Galafalo as well as um, Island Christian Church for all of their help in setting up and hosting today's program. Um, they've done a phenomenal job helping us with our live streaming as well as just hosting us in their facility today. So thank you as well. Um, now it's my pleasure. Um, please help me welcome up Terry Lisi Maselli, President and CEO of the HIALI. So good morning, everybody. Welcome. It is so good to see people, I have to say. Isn't it good to see people? And for those of you who are watching online, we will see you soon. We know that. Hope you're all staying well, healthy, safe, Long Island strong. So I'm sure you read yesterday we were at 69.9% in first vaccines, today at 70%. So we are opening up. Um, you know, we spoke a lot when we first walked in about what we've all been through in COVID. And one of the comments that was made is, you know, if we can get through this, we can get through anything, right? And we should remember that as we move forward. And know that the HIALI is still here with you, disseminating really critical information. We're having a program on Thursday about the small business recovery program, grants that can be given out for small businesses. So we hope you join us with that. And you know, it's been incredible to watch how the members have really stepped up to the plate and really um, just done things in terms of repurposing their plans for personal protective equipment, helping out with gaining capital for small business, doing things like that. And I have to tell you that the Small Business Task Force has been absolutely no exception. They've always stepped up to the plate but particularly in this situation, really relied and looked at and done surveys on what does small business really need to survive through this. So we really appreciate it. They were formed in 2016 at a board retreat when we began to talk about the critical need of small, of small members and small business, and many of you are, and really had to help out. And they've been full steam ahead since, so I want to thank not only Rita DiStefano, who I'll introduce in a second, who's our 
small business task force co-chair and a board member, but all of the task force members, she will mention them in a moment. Thank you again. I know Tony Joy thanked you to Joe Garofalo. This is a beautiful venue. And to Josh and Phil back there, you guys rock. You rock, man. You're smiling and helping us live streaming. Thank you for that, really. It takes a village. And I will, um, before I hand it over to Rita, I do really have to thank my staff because... You know, you probably know that every other day there was new information coming out on what we could do with events, what we couldn't do with events, what does this need to look like, do you need masks, do you not need masks, so it's been very confusing. And it's been a very, very, very gray area for associations that do events. So we've called other associations certainly to see what they're doing, things like that, but the staff just went with it, right, and just did it. So particularly for Tony, Joy, and Hallie, who are looking down right now, but I want to thank them both, who have really supported the Small Business Task Force and to our whole team, I want to say thank you. So let me introduce Rita DiStefano. Uh, you all know her, I'm sure, but as I said before, she's the Small Business Task Force co-chair and a board member for many, many years. I don't want to say how many years because I don't want to mess it up. So I'm not sure, but it's many years. It's over 20 years, it has to be, at least 20 years. So help, help us welcome Rita DiStefano. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, panel. And thank you all for being here. We are so excited to have the first in-person panel presentation for the last past year and, and three months. We congratulate everyone for getting through this very challenging time. I think that we have all learned something about ourselves, our companies, and the resiliency that we all have. And most of all, as a director of human resources consulting, my heart goes out to all of the small businesses out there who have been challenged by the federal and state legislation on a daily basis, on an hourly basis. Uh, we're hoping that in the past six years that we did start this small business task force, very, very hard to believe, that we've helped the small businesses, not with the lack of passion for my team. Um, Dr. Alana Zalfo, raise your hand, she's in the audience, a member of our team. Uh, Pastor Joe Garofalo, uh, who will be your moderator today, Alan Lopolis, Karen Frank, Sue Gubing, and our new member, Rich Isaac. Bless their hearts. The passion that they have to get the information out to you has been unbelievable, and we're not ending here. We continue to do this. We will probably continue to do it until we get tired of it, I guess, and we never will. So I want to thank my team so much, and I want to thank the panel. And please understand the one thing in my last comment, the legislation is changing on an hourly basis. And as of this morning, we hit 70%. So a lot of what maybe you wanted to say yesterday, and at least half of the work I've done in my office for the last week and a day, is a moot point this morning. So we will take it a day at a time. We are here for you. Those out there streaming in, and those thank you so much for showing up today. We are here for you. The HIA has all of the resources to help you with any questions that you have. And so without further ado, and, and to get to the wonderful information that our panel will be able to impart, I'd like to introduce to you Pastor Joe Garofalo, who has been with the HIA, I think, as long as I, a past president, such as I have been. So the passion continues. Reverend Joe, take it away. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Rita. 
Well, it's good to see you guys. Uh, welcome to Island Christian Church. We're, we're blessed to be uh, able to host this event. Thank you for the, to the panelists as well. And uh, just um, so the, um, the beautiful thing about uh, my involvement with HIA is I, this is being in ministry was kind of a second career for me. And I had been involved with the HIA since the early 1990s. Uh, and when I decided to uh, sell our business, I was in publishing. Um, the, uh, we had a conversation with Terry, and uh, she had mentioned that, um, uh, hey, you're still involved with the business community. What, you know, stay with us. And that was a beautiful thing. So I was able to do that. And that was about 13 years ago. So, so I have a, a lot of business background, which kind of makes my role in, in moderating this kind of thing vital. Uh, even though it's been 13 years uh, and I'm still very active with the business community. So what I'd like to do at this time is ask each of the panelists uh, to just do a quick introduction about themselves and, and uh, you know, just, just a minute or so. And uh, we'll just we'll start with Colleen and just kind of work right down. Sure. Good morning. My name is Colleen Merlot. I'm the CEO of the Association for Mental Health and Wellness. I'm a social worker by training and profession, but I'm also a nonprofit leader. So I come at this from a perspective of talking about how we can promote emotional wellness, but also empathizing with business owners because we were, you know, I was there making the decisions in terms of how we were going to operate um, during the pandemic. And I'm looking forward to learning from my fellow panelists. So thank you for letting me be with you this morning. Good morning. My name is Kristen Pinella. I'm with Summit Safety Solutions. Uh, we are an outsource safety company that uh, assists manufacturing, construction companies on Long Island with their safety program. Uh, we also get involved in environmental projects as well as COVID, uh, unfortunately. Uh, a lot of our training that we used to do uh, kind of dried up during COVID. Uh, we didn't want to meet in person anymore. We had to be agile. Every company dealt with it in a different way, not better or worse, but a different way. And we, would be, we were able to come up with creative solutions on continuing environmental health and safety programs at companies. Good morning, my name is Jeff Schlossberg. I'm an attorney at the law firm of Jackson Lewis. That's Jackson Lewis, not Jackson Hewitt, the accounting firm. Um, we, Jackson Lewis is a national employment law firm representing management exclusively. Um, on Long Island, we have offices in Melville uh, with close to 40 attorneys. Uh, we handle all matters uh, of issues for employers from hiring to firing and everything in between, of course, including COVID compliance. I'm on the national uh, COVID-19 task force and have been since February of 2020. I assume that'll be uh, uh, part of the topics today. But um, I wanted to thank everybody for uh, uh, inviting me and I'm looking forward to the discussion. My name is Liz Yuzo, and I'm the Chief Human Resource Officer at H2M Architects and Engineers. Uh, I can say being in human resources over the last 15 months has been extremely challenging. Uh, so I'm looking forward to the panel discussion, uh, learning more about each of the panelists. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm passionate for what I do. Uh, I started out as a payroll clerk. Uh, 34 years later, well, I was sometime in between there, uh, I've been with the same company. And, and I've always said, you know, philosophically, you need to ask for what you want. And I think so often people leave a great firm 
because they're not getting what they need instead of asking for it. So I, I work very closely with my team of HR business partners to make sure that they're advocating for management and for the employees, so it's a balance. Mm, thank you very much. Well, thank you all for that. Uh, so yeah, let's just kind of uh, look at some of these questions and, and just, just kind of a little preface to this. So, um, you know, obviously we're all looking forward to having the pandemic behind us, uh, but we can't avoid the lingering effects. And I think a lot of what we discuss are going to be some of the lingering effects of how we recover on a number of fronts. You know, certainly psychologically speaking, uh, economically speaking, uh, just practical operationally, uh, you know, operation-wise speaking. So we're going to be covering, I think, a, a number of topics along that way. And, um, you know, one of the biggest challenges is also kind of the most nebulous, and that is, you know, uh, the general health and well-being of our employees. And so we'll be delving into that subject uh, as well. So, you know, here at the church, uh, we, um, we counsel a lot of people uh, who feel, have been feeling isolated. Uh, you know, working from home has certainly been a great thing in that business is, has been able to continue on. But, uh, you know, it, it, has, uh, it has an effect that we, we need to be mindful of. And I think that's going to be part of our conversation as well. And so uh, with that said, the goal this morning is to really is to provide real solutions uh, to move your business forward right now. In other words, what can you do right now to be able to move your business forward? And so let's get going with the questions. Um, incidentally, we'll be taking some questions from the floor at some point. So we'll kind of, uh, if you, as, you have, as you have them, you know, think through them. Uh, you can certainly jot them down or type them in. Uh, for those of you that are uh, streaming with us, uh, we on Facebook you could certainly do that as well so there's somebody who's going to be reading the questions and then feeding them to me so feel free to be chatting in your questions uh, you know as well all right well so let's start with just kind of a general question and and that's is this really is just like an, to, to anyone on the panel but what would be the general feeling out there that you can sense and I say that preface it with the fact that everyone's even people who study guidance for a living are confused. So, you, you know, just people that are just like, well, you know, how do I roll with this stuff? So what's the general consensus in terms of optimism, pessimism? Are people looking forward to getting back to the office per se? Are business owners, uh, you know, thinking that, hey, we're kind of, we've, you know, it's in the rear view at this point. So maybe uh, any of you can speak to that one. Yeah, so I'll start. Uh, it's mass confusion. I think is a good way to sum it up. Um, and just like uh, some of the other, in, um, when we were getting introduced, talks about how it changes every day. Yeah. It, it, it changes every day, and then do you pay attention to the CDC, uh, New York State, who says, no, we're going to do it our way. And then we also have to go to other governing bodies as well. So like mm -hmm. in the construction industry, you can go from construction job to construction job, and the rules are different on every construction job. Depends on who the client is. So let's say the client's Con Edison, they say we're going to do it this way. Next time the client's MTA, they say we're going to do it this way. So it's it, it tends to be very confusing, and you have to take your time and do your homework, and really see who your audience is and how we're going to protect uh, the employees. Now, as business owners that want to do it the right way, it's extremely frustrating. So I find that a lot of business owners are frustrated. Mm -hmm. um, again, not that they don't want to do the right thing. They want to do the right thing, but it's, it's a moving target, and you can never hit it. And the second you think you hit it, it moved again, um, which is challenging. 
So uh, we try to, again, be creative. Uh, what I found going into different companies is that there's a lot of really intelligent, creative people out there. So the CDC, New York State, gives us guidelines, and then it's up to you as a business owner or somebody that represents your business to come up with policies and procedures. And everybody does it a different way. Uh, one company could have a policy that uh, you're going to go down path A, and another company has we're going to go down path B. Neither one is wrong, it's just how they decided to come up with a solution to those recommendations given to us by the governing agencies. So it's confusion and frustration to answer your question. Okay. Uh, others on that? Yes. I, I think one of the things that we learned early on in the pandemic was about communication. And I don't think you can communicate enough when it comes to employees, you know, whether it's you know, right one day and wrong the next day. I mean, just putting that out there and making sure that you're connecting with people and giving them some kind of in information, some kind of guidance so that they don't feel lost. So, you know, we, we implemented a video series. So our CEO uh, did daily videos to our staff so, and they could access them from anywhere um, on YouTube. So if they were on their phone or they were working from home or wherever they were in the field, and gave them information. And if for nothing else, just to make them feel you know, more connected to, to the organization. And I think that was probably the key to our success. We came back early as an essential business. Many of us didn't leave. And so I think the learning experience that I'll take away from that is you, know, you gotta make decisions, right or wrong, you gotta make decisions and you gotta communicate them out to the employees because they're looking to management and leadership to, to do that. Mm -hmm. okay. yes. um, so from my perspective, just having contact with many different businesses uh, of all sizes, I, I think that to answer one of your questions, I think that for the most part, everybody is wanting to move forward and everybody is looking to figure out exactly how to get back to whatever you call it, the new abnormal maybe, um, but in some way or another. Now, what I feel is that in things that I've had conversations with clients is, and especially in the smaller businesses uh, area, um, is I think that everybody now can look back to March, April, May of 2020 and say, you know, somehow we got through that. That was a very difficult time for every business of all sizes because things were coming out, advice being given one day, changed the next. Oh. The DOL said this, oh, you know, EEOC said that, and it was very frustrating. I mean, I don't think things are changing at that clip right now. Um, so I think people should take comfort in perspective and realize that no matter what size your business is or what the resources you have to devote to compliance, you'll do it and you'll get it done. And I think that, you know, with just communication, um, and focus on what is out there, like for example, this new HERO Act that applies to companies of all sizes requiring implementation of a safety plan, you can get it done. It, maybe it won't be the same as you know, you know, a large corporation, but you'll get it done and have confidence. And that's the message that I think I, I, I wanna send. Great, thank you. Okay, well good. Um, thank you for that. So just as, as a you know, general thought here, uh, in terms of people returning to work. So do you find that people are actually doing that at this point? Is there, um, are, are companies kind of just seeing that, hey, you know, it's working pretty good, 
maybe not needing as much real estate and from people working from home? Are, are employers giving their employees, you know, a kind of a, an option to do one or the other? What's the general sense as far as that? Or do you see some kind of floodgate happening where people are going to just start returning to work? Obviously, there's some work, like we were talking about earlier, when we were just chatting, you know, you can't work from home if you're in manufacturing, per se. But, uh, but office, you know, back office personnel can. But what's happening with that at this time? I've seen a lot of hybrid approaches where people are still coming um, in a couple of days a week and working from home. So there's this increased flexibility mm -hmm. that employees, I think, are going to demand moving forward and that employers are really seeing the benefit um, to allowing individuals to work from home. There is added savings. We maybe can cut down on the real estate costs, um, the commute time. You know, we were talking as panelists that, you know, we don't use our commute time for things like sipping coffee and, you know, reading the morning newspaper, but we're getting to work. So there is this increased productivity. Um, and I, I think we're gonna see a hybrid approach as we move forward. Gotcha, sure, okay, yes. So I, I, I think that um, I agree that the workforce is probably gonna try to direct somehow a hybrid approach, three days a week, or, you know, in the office maybe, something like that. But I, what I'm seeing is that um, it really varies on the leadership. So, I mean, I have a substantially large client that their leadership firmly believes that people should be in the office. They're all office-based. They could, 90% of the employees could work from home, but they don't want that. And so they're driving their business to a point where they want people back and doing things to encourage people or require people, now debating whether to mandate vaccines or not. Um, you know, so, and, and there are other companies where, you know, equally large but have different philosophical needs or maybe different professional growth needs. Like, for example, in a law firm, there are competing issues. There's people that want to work from home, but also concerns about how do you train junior attorneys to get that face-to-face, -face, spontaneous experience of a hallway conversation or, or, you know, hey, stop by my office, I'm going to get on a call. You know, those things don't exist when you work from home. You may be productive, but you may be losing things. So, you know, I think that it, it, I've not seen any consensus on what's happening. It's being driven by, you know, what that company's leadership wants to achieve and what its goals are. Sure, thank you. Yes. Uh... Yeah, I, I think... You know, flexibility is, is key. So I do believe that, you know, having additional flexibility in, you know, addressing needs of the employees is, is key to your success and key to retention. You know, I think right now we're going to be seeing a lot of turnover because folks that maybe would have turned over a year ago didn't and stayed, you know, sat tight. So I think we have to be uh, very open to listening and hearing what what people want. I. I think one of the things I struggle with, much like what Jeff said, is, you know, those spontaneous conversations. And I think, you know, the leadership, some leadership are really good with, you know, my guys can work from home and others really want their team in the office. A lot of the things that we do are collaborative in nature, uh, working across different disciplines. And I don't think you get that spontaneity uh, that you would normally get if people are working remotely. Mm, yes. I just want to add that, you know, in terms of, you know, the remote work, uh, you know, we as an, as an attorney, we would, pre-COVID, would have to counsel our clients frequently on remote work 
options, particularly like if somebody had a medical condition who temporarily needed to work from home for whatever reason, um, and many employers would go, no, 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 you can't work from home, you know? Now we just don't do that, you're needed. Now, you, you really can't say that for many, many uh, job titles, right? We know you can work from home, and you know you can, so you know, we're balancing what people know, like and to your point, about what's um, being demanded. Like, I know I can work from home, I know I'm productive, so Mr. or Ms. employer, please you know, listen to what I'm saying, otherwise you know, maybe they'll go somewhere else. Um, so we'll see how that works. But I do think that um, the, there is a segment of the population, and particularly women, who are being hampered more by the, 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 some of the remote work. Some, some choose it, but some also are you know, feeling that if they choose it, they're losing advantages of, of not being present, the FOMO and, and what are their career, you know, and it's generally speaking, the women who will stay home if there's, let's say, two, you know, um, two spouses or a man and a woman raising a child, typically the woman will stay home, right? So the man will go to work and do what he does. If the woman has to almost work from home, fortunately she can and earn a living, but is she also now you know, missing out on career opportunities. And I think employers should be aware of that. Right. You know, and what's going on, um, you know, in, in, in the workforce and sure. what their mindset is. Yeah, well, it's, there's, a, there's a lot to be said for some of the advantages of working from home. Um, there's something to be said uh, for advantages from going to school at home, because we know that's now a reality. What is that going to do to snow days? I mean, that's a whole other thing, right? I mean, think about it. But do you see this, um, this phenomenon, if you want to call it, because it happens so suddenly to us, do you see this uh, going away? I mean, or is it, is it a permanent thing now where employers are now going to give that option or have some kind of, you know, just some kind of level of, of this type of option going forward? Uh, where even though people may be starved for connectivity and so forth, we're wired that way as people, I think, for the most part. Uh, but how do you see that as a permanent thing, or at least in the long term, as far as you know, working from home or that option of being in the office? So one of our biggest challenges over the last, I'm going to say, six to eight years has been accommodating everybody in the office, so real estate, um, where we were filling up all the buildings that we were in, and you know, now we have to get more or acquire more real estate. You know, right now we're good because we do have some, some flexible, uh, you know, flexibility in people's schedules. So I think, you know, for us, it's going to save money in the long run because I think there will be some kind of a hybrid approach, uh, hoteling. Uh, we already have three of our offices. We'll probably implement some kind of hoteling, change it where they are, you know, maybe change their leasing structure. And, and I, think, I think that's going to be a benefit to companies uh, going forward. Great. Okay. Uh, that kind of ties back to our, uh, the last question that you had is that you can't just say, okay, everyone come back to work. Uh, there's got to be a lot of proper planning involved. Um, based on today's information, if you're vaccinated, you're free to do whatever you like. But if you're not vaccinated, you have to make accommodations for those people. So if you had an office... Uh, room that was filled with 15 cubicles, I, I don't think you could just assume that you're going to throw 15 people into those cubicles uh, unless they're all fully vaccinated. Uh, so there's got to be a lot of proper planning before we make decisions of bringing people back to work. 
Um, if you can't get the social distancing, then there's got to be the plexiglass. If, you know, uh, are you still going to do medical screening? There's a lot of things that still has to be accommodated for. Mm -hmm. uh, and we can't just say it's over and we're going back to usual. Yeah, I, I think that things will change. You know, I mean, things change all the time. If you've been in the workforce for any number of years, things have changed. Um, I don't want to say how long I've been in the workforce and what has changed, but, you know, I mean, even just the use of phones and as, as a work tool, you know, over the last 10 years, things evolve. So, yes, I think everything will evolve and there'll be some new standard mm -hmm. and it probably will involve some remote work, uh, things like that. Sure. But to Kristen's point, um, uh, though, you know, in terms of coming back, you know, and vaccinated versus non-vaccinated, I, I just want people to understand that even though you know you can request information about whether people are vaccinated um, and you can have some different rules for people who are vaccinated like they don't have to wear masks you know i would want to you know i would want employers to exercise caution in how you treat those who are unvaccinated because the larger pop the large percentage of those who are unvaccinated are probably due to a medical reason now, there are some who have a philosophical issue, and that's something else. But, you know, I would caution against, like, taking your, your space with 15 cubicles and isolating all the unvaccinated people in one place, like making them like pariahs, you know, because we don't know where legally the landscape is going to go. But we certainly could foresee claims that are like, you know, you know, you're treating me differently because I have a medical condition. You're putting me and isolating me. You're not letting me use the cafeteria. You're not letting me do. So you, you know, you got to strike a balance with people coming back. So just real quick, so that the guidance uh, conflicts with what you're saying. You know what I mean? So the guidance kind of says that you you do have to uh, find accommodations for them. Reasonable accommodations is the word they use, which ends up being put them over here. You know, keep them. Uh, you know, maybe separate uh, two people that aren't haven't that haven't been vaccinated, which goes against what what you're saying. So it becomes very difficult. It's very difficult, but it's you know sometimes you know neutral uh, policies can have a, a disparate impact. Um, so you have to be cautious, is what I'm saying. I mean, you do have to give reasonable accommodations. In other words, you you can't necessarily exclude someone from the workplace because they're unvaccinated. You, 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 you can't, right? So you would have to bring them in and you may end up giving them a different work location or something, but you still have to be cautious about what the impact is. It's just like creating, let's say, a, a policy in your, in your warehouse that all warehouse employees must do X. And it turns out that 100% of your warehouse employees are Hispanic. And you know, so it has some, even though the policy that you created isn't discriminatory towards Hispanic people, it may have that you know, detrimental impact. Mm -hmm. So when you create a policy about where people are going to be, just be cautious and have it on your, on the front of your mind that what's the impact going to be overall by that particular choice. Well said, yes. And I think as business leaders, anytime we make rules that there's exclusions to or that apply to a certain set, it's challenging. And, you know, so as best we can, I think we have to try to make rules that are going to promote safety for the entire workforce. And we also have to think about the fact that there are individuals who are going to be fearful of coming back to the work site and you know, may not want to be in space with, with unvaccinated people if I'm vaccinated. And while we can't or we may not choose to mandate vaccinations, 
we have to think about that and communicate with staff about what we're putting in place to ensure that all employees are safe. Yes, well said. Well, thank you all for that. Yeah, it's a very, add that to Real the Real quick, heat, right? I know, I know yeah. the people watching want answers. Yeah. <laughs> and it's difficult to give a solid answer. I think it's a discussion that needs to be had. So mm -hmm. whatever your plans are, you need to discuss it. Absolutely. Uh, to have you know, intelligent people in the room to make intelligent decisions. Yes. It's a, it's a fine line with that because you, you're, you, know, you don't want to punish one group over the other kind of thing and, and cause divisiveness you know, with the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. You know, we made that decision here at the church very, you know, like just in a second we said, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to segregate in that way. And so employers are dealing with the same thing, you know, where you have to respect that person's uh, wishes for the, you know, themselves, but at the same time, the fact is that as guidance, you know, gets us towards, um, you know, more of a normal operation, we, we need to jump on that as, as uh, you know, as workers and as a company, you know, for sure. Well, here's a, here's a question that relates just specifically to, to hiring. In other words, what are you guys doing? What are, you know, from the, the uh, companies that you work with, uh, are they hiring? Are they kind of staying flat? Are they looking to, through attrition, you know, kind of just consolidate a little bit. What's been happening out there like currently? I'll take that one. Yeah, please. We, we have, I think at this point, 40 openings uh, at H2M. Uh, we're, we're looking to be growing right now. Uh, last year we stayed kind of flat and uh, we got through the year and, and we were able to, you know, come out on the other end okay. Mm -hmm. But we, we are aggressive. Uh, planners and we want to make sure that we have uh, adequate staff in place to do the work. Uh, I think infrastructure projects are going to, you know, kick in while they were, you know, the construction industries and stuff were taking a step back, but I think that's going to kick in, in in short order. Uh, there's, you know, as cash gets down to, you know, down to the towns and the villages, I think that they're going to have a lot more capital projects that we're going to be working on. So we're hiring like crazy and we've perfected our, our virtual onboarding. Uh, we implemented a uh, H, uh, human capital management system and payroll system during the pandemic. And now we can do everything uh, virtually and have the employees that come in, the new hires come in and they can start work right away. There, you know, there's not all of the, the, uh, the things that we used to have to do manually. So it, it really, uh, we, we've, we've come a long way actually in the last 12 months mm -hmm. uh, because of that. Great, thank you. Yeah, any others on that one? Every company I do work with is hiring. They are. Every one of them. All right. I mean, for, for, for all of those that are, there are also others that, I mean, I have several that um, hired up to address certain pandemic needs, like making, uh, you know, antiseptic wipes and things like that. And the call for that, of course, is a lot less, or, you know, or sanitizer. The call for that is obviously a lot less now. So, you know, businesses that ramped up are now ramping down. Um, so, I mean, I'm, great. I'm happy to hear that overall, generally, the, uh, you know, people are hiring. That, that, that's good. And, um, you know, but um, I, I, 
maybe the people that are being laid off in those industries will, will find uh, employment elsewhere. Sure. What do you direct, or if there's a couple of things that you can specifically state as to why companies are now in the hiring mode? I mean, you had explained it well, Elizabeth, but other general ideas as far as that goes, are employers anticipating an increase in business in general kind of thing? Uh, do you feel like there's um, the fact that things are normalizing and there's a general sense of optimism as far as that? So is it some speculation or are just orders and different sales increasing? Do you have any sense as to what what is out there that's kind of driving companies that are looking for to fill open slots or to hire? Yeah, specifically manufacturing, it's, it's the orders that are going up. Okay. So uh, maybe during COVID, it's slowed down. Uh, they had their base, so they still were producing, yeah. but now they're getting much larger orders. Mm -hmm. And there's a great need for the, the manufacturer worker to fill those orders. Okay. Um, now they're also having a problem with their suppliers and uh, getting the material they need, whether it's the metal or, you know, God forbid, lumber. Um, oh, yeah. So... Uh, but they are, I, I see them ramping up big time. Great, okay, well thank you for that. Yes, and Colleen. I think as economically challenging as the past year has been for so many individuals, there are individuals who've actually saved money um, over the course of the past year um, because they're not commuting or they didn't take that vacation and now they are going to be able to spend that money on capital. Um, you know, but representing a nonprofit who uh, provides uh, services, you know, social services, I'll say that there are many not-for-profits that are hiring right now because there's a great need to fill, you know, food insecurity needs, mental health needs, um, substance use needs, uh, housing needs. You know, as, as we look at, um, you know, rent moratoriums coming to an end, we know that that's going to be um, an increase. So nonprofits are hiring for a different reason. Yes, that's, that is very true. In fact, that's a great segue, Colleen, because the next question um, just has to kind of do with, uh, with in trying to avoid mental stress and depression issues in the workplace, you know, what are some of the approaches uh, our members can take when noticing negative uh, and or low morale, you know, in the workplace? And I'd like to maybe just direct that uh, to you at this time. Sure, I'm happy to take that. Thank yeah. you. Well, first of all, there's nothing employers can do to avoid stress and mental health concerns in the workplace. They're always going to be present, right? Stress is part of our lives. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It can be motivating towards change and productivity. Um, but we have to think about the fact that genetics, uh, past trauma, including the trauma that we've been through over the past year, all play a role in the nearly one in five Americans who will have a diagnosable mental health condition um, in the course of a year. So those are things that you can't necessarily change. But we can do things whereby if someone is having mental health concerns, we can be more supportive in the workplace. And we can also do things to overall increase job satisfaction and emotional wellness within the workplace. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things Liz mentioned right at the offset is communication. I think communication is really key between employers and employers. Um, you know, if you're noticing um, distress in an employee, talk to that person, but talk to them from the perspective of how it's interrupting the workflow, right? Because if somebody is absent a lot or showing up late or lethargic at work, you wanna be able to address that behavior quickly. And I will say that it's harder, right? We, we talk with a lot of businesses about how to promote mental wellness in the workplace and it has been more challenging over this past year because you may not notice these subtle things on Zoom um, and it's hard to have these empathetic conversation with employees, but it's important to communicate and, and to 
really set the bar for what you expect of the employee, regardless of their mental health condition, right? You talk about the behaviors and how it affects the work. Um, I also think one of the things that's been really challenging, and I know for myself, even personally, over the past year, is that work-life balance. You know, we live in a country where people who show up early for work and stay late and work weekends and are constantly on their phones checking emails are rewarded. And that's not necessarily healthy for the individual or for the workplace in the long run. And I, I think employers would do well to think about how we can promote more of that work-life balance. And that flexibility um, in terms of working from home versus uh, coming into the office may be a way to help with some of those work-life balances. You know, I know as much as it has been challenging for you know, parents uh, during the pandemic with homeschooling and all of that, there's also been more time with families, and that's been, I think, a silver lining of the pandemic. So as, as stressful as it is managing working from home, there's also been this, this silver lining of more family time and connectiveness, um, which I, I hope stays. Um, I also think employers need to make wellness a priority. Um, and they, you, know, you can do that by being uh, proactive and bringing in outside resources, whether it be um, you know, forming a wellness committee and having people talk about you know, physical exercise because that improves not only your physical health but your mental health. Um, we know that scientifically uh, meditation and mindfulness can help increase productivity in the workplace and emotional wellness. So I think there's things that you can do sure. to show that it's important um, and then lastly, I'll just say, um, you know, thinking about the benefits that you offer to your employees. So if you can, offer an EAP. If you are providing health insurance, make sure that the mental health care that you're able to access with that insurance is on par with the uh, physical health benefits as well. Gotcha. Okay, great. Well, thank you for that. Yes, Elizabeth. Yeah, I'd just like to add to that. We, we've focused on wellness uh, for many years and, and had a committee of employees uh, from all levels of the organization and let them design what, what people need. Um, so during the pandemic, we had some virtual sessions uh, with the um, uh, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and, and some other uh, things we know with our health insurance, you know, on dollar one, because we, we have an HSA type health insurance plan. Uh, employees are getting 100% coverage for mental health um, visits, which I think is super important. Uh, and I think one of the things, you know, we have managers that come in to have a conversation with HR, and one of the things they'll say is, you know, have so and so, and they're they come into work late every day, and or they have some situation, and they seem withdrawn, and and you know I want to I want to write them up. I'm like write them up, write them up for what? You know I said well, why don't you ask them how they are? Is everything okay? And I think too we're we're too fast in business to to assume things for people that we have no no business assuming. Mm -hmm. Simply asking somebody how are you or are you okay when you notice some kind of change is okay. And you know, it's not illegal. Like, it's like, can I ask that? Of course you can ask that. I mean, you obviously, you don't know what you're gonna get. You might get something crazy, but you know, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a risk. But I still believe it could be a very simple fix. You know, maybe a sick family member or somebody's dealing with mental health issues or uh, we have an EAP as well that you can refer them to. So there's lots of resources um, that we've offered. Uh, we do regular emails. We call them Did You Know? 
and we'll send out different resources so people are getting information. I think during the pandemic, we were able to keep connected, uh, which, you know, through, through Zoom. I think it helped pull away some of the uh, issues of, you know, having the branch offices, or we're, you know, we're left out of things. They're, you know, everybody's in the level playing field because we, we were on Zoom. So I think, you know, what Colleen mentioned is super important. And let's face it, we're, you know, we're in business, but we are human beings and, and we need to treat people with respect and, yes. and ask the right questions. Sure. Yes, Jeff. And now a message from your attorney. <laughs> so, you know, Colleen and Liz mentioned some very important topics, but I want to just put, uh, you know, some parameters on what they said. Um, mental health uh, is, 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 is a disability. Um, which would qualify under the Americans with Disabilities Act and the parallel laws on the state and local level. Um, so we all know that we have obligations in terms of how to deal with those with medical conditions and it applies equally to those with mental health conditions. Um, I think that you know the best practice is if let's say someone's coming in late or they're you know sleeping at their desk or whatever it is that may be happening is to focus on the objective um, tasks and say, you're coming in late, that's not okay. You know, you're sleeping at your desk. Obviously, you know, we can't do that, you know. Now, that's very, it may sound very sterile, um, but that's like one end of the spectrum. That's the best practice would be to focus on the task. And, and then if the employee wants to share with you something, they, they, they can and they will, but they also have the right to not. And even though something may be going on, they may just choose to say, no, everything's fine, or you know, oh, my car broke down, that's why I'm late. Not that I'm on antidepressants and they make me sleep late. Um, so you have to be careful about that. Now, most people you know, that I deal with are in human resources, and most people in human resources are there in part because they care about people and they wanna help people. Right? And I think to Liz's point about are you okay, I don't have a problem with are you okay. But you know, you gotta be careful with what you ask, you know, because you know, if you say, and there are cases like this, you know, you seem depressed. You know, the employer now could be considered to have treated that person as someone having a disability, even if they don't, right? There was a case where an employer wrote in an email to a supervisor, you know, she's acting crazy, you know, and that made it look, you know, the employer was, you know, not able to get around that is the, and was treated as having treated that person as having a mental health condition. You said it, well, you know, so, so we have to be careful. I mean, there is room for helping, but we also always have to keep the legal things, uh, 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 exposure points mm -hmm. in mind. Great. So I just thank you. Yeah, no, that was important. In fact, I want to I want to ask two two questions. Uh, one, I would like you guys to address employers, and then the other, I'd like you guys to address employees. So here's the employer question, and I read this in the Wall Street Journal about a, just about a week ago. So when when polled, employers, when asked about how well they're providing for the mental, you know, health in general of their employees, they said we're doing a great job. All right. And when that same question was posed to the employees, about 50% you know, agreed with that. So there's a little disconnect there. 
So the first thing is how, what would you say to employers out there, okay, in this room and certainly those viewing us, uh, about how to just that very scenario that, that I just mentioned, because it's very real. The second to employees is this, and, I, and we, could, we can all just surmise this. If you're really struggling with something, uh, you know, the, there's a fear of being stigmatized by going to your supervisor uh, or your HR person uh, because all of a sudden now your fear of being labeled or now I'm not competent any longer. So there's that happening. And so what's happening, what I'm guessing, is that there's a lot of like withheld, just kind of internalizing of this, which could never be good, okay, overall. And so that's something that you would need to address the employee on. So maybe if you could just take those two, whoever wants to jump in, maybe Colleen, you know, talk to the employers about what's happening out there. Well, I'm a social worker, right? And social workers care about people and we ask those touchy-feely questions by design. Um, however, as a nonprofit leader, my role is to ensure that we're providing good services to the people that we provide services to. And so at the end of the day, when I'm working with my employees, I want them to be effective at their jobs and able to show up and be healthy and productive. And I think that's the perspective that we always have to take. Um, I think employers who really are getting this right and, and want to continue to promote emotional wellness in the workplace don't just bring in someone once and say, all right, we did that seminar on stress management. But, you know, Liz's point, her, um, her CEO was in front of the workforce, you know, daily talking about emotional wellness, addressing concerns, communicating, and I think it has to be ongoing. And that doesn't mean that you have to devote tremendous amount of time to this. It means that if you do a company newsletter, Talk a, have a wellness corner and make sure that you're talking about stress management and emotional wellness, bringing those topics in. And it's really key that we train managers to notice signs of distress in employees and to appropriately address that, both from the legal perspective but also from the human perspective, right? Because at the end of the day, again, we want to retain our employees. And if people are struggling with things outside, they're bringing it to the workplace. And unless we help them get to a place where those things are not affecting their performance, we're not gonna retain them and we're not gonna have a successful, productive work environment. Great, thank you. I'll, I'll tell you, I've done training to employers on mental health you know, with social workers and um, other mental health professionals. And I can, my observational non-scientific uh, data is that a very high percentage of management still don't understand or accept mental health or as as a real issue, you know, and that there is definitely a stigma associated with it, um, you know, and, and and you know, I don't know how that's going to change education. Um, I certainly think employers, you know, one easy thing is to have an EAP available to your employees, but that doesn't necessarily train people how to approach mental health. I mean, there's no question in my mind, you know, this is my personal observation, is that if somebody came into you and said, I was diagnosed with cancer and I need, you know, time for chemo, that an employer will almost certainly be empathetic in whatever we can do, you know, Bob, you know, but if Bob came in and said, you know, I, I, I'm depressed, or I, I, I had a 
death in the family, my mother passed away from COVID, I need time off. Like, come on, just, uh, come on, you had bereavement leave, well, what's the problem? You know, you know and it's like uh, from Moonstruck, like snap out of it, you know? Like, you know it, but I don't think that's real. So from my perspective as an attorney, you know, I don't deal with that component of it, but I deal with that reality and then trying to give management tools to how to deal with when those situations present, how to approach them and how not to get caught in a legal trap. Yes. Okay. I just want to add one thing. Please. So this has always been an important topic and some employers have focused on it for, for decades and some now are starting to realize over the course of this past year that this is something that I, I really do need to pay attention to. And you know, from my perspective, if people are getting to that place, I'm happy. I'm sorry that it took a global pandemic for people to get there. Um, but you know, if, if, if there are businesses listening today who wanna learn more about how to notice signs and talk to people who may be in distress, we do offer mental health first aid for businesses. Um, and they can contact me and I'd be happy to, to speak with them about how we can you know, help them be better at noticing and, okay. and having those conversations. That can be challenging, sure. right? Absolutely. I think, I think about the training aspect, which I think is key, because I think you do have to train your supervisors as to when to back off. You, know, you don't want them to go too far you know, in, in having the conversation, but we focused a lot on managing the whole person. So it's not work-life balance, it's life balance. You know, so understanding what people want and need, and, and it can be flexibility because of childcare, it could be flexibility because of the pandemic, um, you know, challenges at home with you know, maybe one spouse out of work and struggling finances. So I think all of those things you have to take into consideration and, and ensuring that the people that work for your organization feel comfortable coming in and having a conversation with you about what's going on. And, and that way you can, if nothing else, you know, maybe you give them a little leeway for a period of time or and or you're able to give them resources uh, that you have, you know, focused on, on whether it's mental health or financial wellness or any of those things. I think it's, like I said, the whole person. Right, yes. So now just, um one more aspect of this, and then we'll, we'll move on. But so now, what would you tell employees that are struggling uh, and that have, you know, uh, just a hesitancy or even a fear of bringing that their situation to their manager, or if there's an EAP, you know, whatever? What what word, you know, that you could tell the employees out there to give them some assurance and just some good guidance that what they can do right now in really getting help and at least getting that monkey off their back so like, I'm struggling with this and I can't tell anybody or something to that effect. I think, I think for us, because we're a little bit bigger, we have HR and we have HR business partners that you know, uh, support the, uh, the, the groups, is you know, mm -hmm. we encourage people to have a conversation, to bring their thoughts, their concerns into whether it's management or whether it's your HR person. And we do touch bases. So we have regular touch bases with employees and we have almost 500 of them. So it's challenging. But we, you know, we, we look to see there are certain things that we can see on a performance review or, or from having regular conversations with managers that you know, someone's not performing where they were or needs some assistance. Um, and I think that that is key. We have a mentorship program, which um, I think has been helpful also. Uh, we we want to encourage people to 
seek out mentorship from leadership, so sometimes we'll get it uh, feedback that way as well. Okay, great. And I'll just say, going to your employer with a mental health concern is not always the best option, depending upon who the employer is. And that's a sad reality. So, you know, I think you have to understand what the response might be, um, but also that you are legally protected, right? So if you have a diagnosable mental illness, you are protected under the ADA um, and to know your rights. Um, but also, I just want to encourage anyone who may be struggling, because there are a lot of people who are struggling right now, you don't have to go to your employer to get help. You can find assistance elsewhere. You can call um, a crisis hotline. You can call, you know, if you have an EAP, go to the EAP, it's confidential. I just want to encourage anyone who is struggling with depression or anxiety or loss um, or thoughts of suicide to, to get support because support is there and things will and can get better. Great, thank you very much, yes. And coming from someone who represents employers, I, I see what happens, you know, sometimes after the fact, and employees are not getting great advice. And sometimes employees have certain expectations of what should happen, you know, if they disclose. Now, of course, they don't have the, they, there's no requirement that anyone disclose their mental health or any health condition, right? But if you're not doing your job, an employer is entitled to require you to do your job. And that's the case even if you disclose. So if you say you have a disability, physical or mental, an employer is entitled to ask you to do your job, but you may be entitled to an accommodation. Frequently, what I see is that employees just assume they can stay out of work. Girl, I'm on disability. You know, I don't have to come to work or I can come and go when I want because I have a disability and I don't have to be there. And that's not accurate, you know, and so you know, it, it, I would ultimately, the employer can set rules. The employee has rights. I would say the employee should make sure they're consulting with people they trust in terms of how to respond to things that are ongoing in the workplace if they have any form of medical condition. Sure, very good. Yeah. I just want to touch on something. So I'm not an expert in this area, but I do want to say what, what works and what doesn't work. Um, if you are simply, you know, you did training back in 2015, and you have a little checkbox. That's not going to work. I, I know that you know maybe you know you think you uh, accomplished something you haven't. The employers that are successful at this have many avenues that an employee can go to, whether it's to HR, a phone number, uh, an app they use, or they just have a multitude of avenues of relaying this to employer, that, that seems to be what works. I, I do some work with uh, Northwell Health. They have a fantastic program. They have what's wellness rooms. You know, their employees went through a lot of stress during COVID, especially when, uh, when it first happened, and they really needed to reach out to their employees and take care of them. And each employee had many avenues that they can go, and I found that to be extremely successful, as opposed to just checking a box. Good, thank you. Thank you for that. Well, you know, we're gonna uh, move into a different set of questions, just a few, but before I do that, I thought I would just open it up for, for those of you uh, either online, you could chat those uh, questions in, don't forget to do that, um, or certainly uh, any, uh, 
any questions from the floor here. We have somebody walking around with a mic that uh, if you have a question for any of the panelists on any conversation, any discussion, you know, uh, that you've heard thus far or anything new, um, feel free. Ask away. So just, hi, I'm Kiki Orski. My question is about your employees who have had COVID, right? And so they, some may feel that they have that natural immunity and now are being asked to be vaccinated. How have you found some of your employees, uh, employers handling that? I'll take that. So Thank you. We had, uh, we had everybody back last June. On June 10th, we brought everyone back into the organization. Uh, I would say between uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, we had to do contact tracing of close to 100 employees. And it was more about um, individuals coming to us and saying they were sitting next to someone at a party that had COVID, we got, I got a phone call and he or she had COVID and now what should I do? So our response, when we, we were communicating about the protocols in advance, stay home. I think now, you know, we, we don't, we're not requiring the vaccine. People are, they can make their personal choices if they choose not to be vaccinated. They're required to wear a mask at all times in the office. Um, but if you get vaccinated, we will give you a wellness bonus. We, obviously the state requires that you pay them uh, to go get vaccinated. So you're getting paid, you're getting a wellness bonus. Uh, as part of it, you know, it's, it's, you know, if somebody doesn't want to do it, it's, it's absolutely voluntary. Gotcha. So, um, so what I've heard, like, for example, I've heard that if you had COVID within a certain period of time, you're not supposed to get the vaccine until X period of time expires. Now, what I would say to an employee that's presenting that scenario to an employer as a reason to not get it, if, if the employer is mandating it, which I assume is the situation, that that employee should support that with some medical documentation, just like any other medical condition where an employer is entitled to get support if the person wants an excuse from work or some other arrangement. So my response would be, you know, provide us with something from your doctor that says you can't get vaccinated until X date, and then you'll figure out what to do. Mm -hmm. But just to be clear, the regulations are either you're vaccinated or you're not. Just because you had COVID doesn't, you know, alleviate any of those rules. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, since you're just speaking, I'm just going to jump in with another question. Are there any other questions out there, though? Okay, well, as you think of them, I'll, I'll keep an eye out and just raise your hand and we'll get, we'll get to you. So uh, just, just to, to Kristen uh, to start with, so have you, how have you assisted in keeping with all these CDC guidelines, you know, a, aimed at, at, you know, keeping the workplace, workplace safe and employees secure and coming back to work during this pandemic like the HEROES Act and just, you know, speak to that. Yeah, no problem. Um, so when this first came out, there was a lot, especially with essential businesses that needed to be stay open, there was a lot of fear. There, uh, a lot of employees were scared. Um, there would be an outbreak, inevitably. Um, and then employees would call up and say, I'm scared to come to work. Uh, that was a real problem. We combated that with uh, communication, uh, constantly communicating 
showing the employees that the employer is doing everything to keep the workplace as safe as possible. And that goes for everything. That doesn't just go for COVID, right? I mean, we don't want a bunch of people walking around with fingers cut off. Yeah. Uh, that's bad for morale. Well, let me ask you, just let me jump in here a second, Chris. So what are you communicating when, when you know, the guidelines are unclear or you don't know what's coming around the corner? How do you, I mean, how do you address that? So we, we always, we would recommend a pandemic plan, a written pandemic plan uh, to put on paper what we believe on that day to be the most current. <laughs> And that was a very fluid document. Um, I don't think we ever printed it out. It would be just an electronic form. These are all the rules that we were going to be following. Uh, and it would be changed on a, on a regular basis. And it was done by committee. Um, so someone from HR would get some news. Someone from environmental health and safety would get some news. The attorney would get some news. And we would constantly be changing that document. And then you would have to relay that information to the employees. Um, so I come from the world of OSHA, which is annual training. When it came to the pandemic, it was not annual training. It was anywhere from weekly to monthly. And when I say right. training, it wasn't in the true aspect of training. It was information sessions, uh, question and answer periods. But again, it was also difficult because we couldn't just all meet in the conference room and have those. Uh, it was always some sort of hybrid event. Um, and again, dealing with manufacturers, a lot of those workers aren't professional. They're not walking around with laptops. They don't have, you know, access to Zoom. Um, so we would have to either, you know, again, be creative. We would have those information sessions outside in large warehouses. Um, and I would just talk really, really loud. Uh, but if communication was always key and getting everybody's information uh, together and be coherent. And just because a new guide, uh, guidance came out didn't necessarily mean that you had to change your policy either. Right. You had to take it, digest that information, figure out how that affects you, and then maybe, may or may not have to change your policy. Um, and that, that, you know, now it's, it's kind of dying down a little bit. But, you know, in January, February, it was, uh, it was a little hairy. It was changing sure. every day. Could you speak to uh, employers that, you know, and I don't want people to think that we're just dealing with large employers here or employers with dozens or even hundreds of, of employees. You know, speak for a second to those that are, that are viewing us uh, or even here that have 10 employees, have five employees. I mean... What is the dynamic in that for a really closely hold, held company in terms of, of um, you know, their protocols and, and how they comply based on the, on the guidance that changes regularly? Right. So they still want to have to, they would have the same rules even though they're smaller. Uh, and they're at an advantage because they have more control. You know, you have a lot more control over five employees as opposed to 500 employees. Right. It's easier to monitor five employees. However, if one of those employees gets COVID and infects exactly. the other three, let's say, you're, you're wiped out. So um, the point is you should stick with your protocol, even if you're a handful of people get huddled in a room. A thousand percent. Right. A thousand percent. Yeah. So uh, we still had uh, social distancing where we could and where we couldn't. Then we had dividers and, um, and we required masks as well. Medical monitoring was a big part of it as well. Whether that was effective or not is debatable. Uh, but I do believe that the medical screening, you know, how do you feel today? Like, I think prior to COVID, you know, people used to show up to work sick and it wasn't a big deal. Oh, I feel terrible today. Yeah, that, we're not going to probably have that anymore. Um, I don't think you're going to have someone sneezing next to you in a cubicle. Uh, these are new times. 
But yes, okay. so the, the smaller companies absolutely would have to adhere to it as well. When it came to training, uh, again, it was easier with the smaller ones because we could just simply put it on a Zoom and everyone could just do it from home. We did that pretty regularly. Um, a lot of the training that I do, uh, like the Hazwopper training or the Hazwopper, it, it's hands-on training. Uh, let's say we had to do respirator training or PPE training. Uh, it was a little difficult because that really is hands-on training and to do it in a Zoom meeting was a little was a little challenging. Gotcha, sure. But we're working our way through that. Okay, great, thank you. Jeff, uh, just maybe you can update us uh, maybe on the, uh, the you know, the uh, Human Resource Compliance, the HEROES uh, Act there, as far as, you know, what have been some of the most frequently asked questions uh, during the pandemic and how you've assisted clients in kind of keeping up to date with, uh, with that, uh, with the new legislation um, that was passed even just last year. I mean, how, just speak to that for us. Well, you know, we, we communicate regularly with our clients in many, many ways. And, um, you know, obviously the questions that are coming in today are vastly different than the questions that were coming in, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, like, you know, can they travel or what do we do when they come back from traveling? And right. all those questions passed away. Um, so, um, you know, right now, um, we're dealing with questions uh, mostly with like vaccinations and should we vaccinate, should we not vaccinate, how do we deal with people who are, who aren't, you know, that's a, a big issue. We're dealing with a lot of issues about remote work and how to manage that um, because there are underlying discrimination concerns and then compliance with legal standards, whether it's, uh, um, you know, primarily, let's say, New York State guidelines or you know, complying with the EEOC directives and things of that nature, what kind of inquiries you can make regarding vaccines, what's permissible, what's not permissible. Um, we're still waiting and hold on the new HERO Act, which um, requires employers of every size, so all employers, including small businesses, to create a model airborne infectious uh, disease exposure prevention policy um, the time for the Department of Labor to issue their guidance on that has been delayed to July 5th. So if they meet that, then after that, we'll be working with clients to help them develop and comply with that. Um, in terms of, because I think you asked, like, how do we communicate or yeah. how do we keep them informed? Yeah. So um, Jackson Lewis has, is very prolific. You know, we have lawyers all over the country that are dealing with all of these issues, and many of them are applicable whether you know, you're in New York or elsewhere. So our website has a substantial wealth of information, jacksonlewis.com, um, and Lewis is L-E-W-I-S. So there, you, there is publications, there's blogs, and you can subscribe um, to whatever you want, topically, by state, you know, by industry, um, and we send out regular information on updates, new laws, webinars we're holding, you know, things of that nature. So that's a significant way of how we communicate um, with our clients on a mass basis. You know, right. obviously we all speak to our personal contacts, but when new things come out, that's the way to find out, we feel is one of the best ways. Sure, well, that's great, thank you. Yes, please. I just have a statement and then a question for you. Uh, so the, 
you know, the new requirements of the infectious control plan, that, you know, that was typically always for the hospital industry or the medical industry. Now employers are going to be required to have that plan on how they're dealing with pandemics. Uh, it, it will just roll into all your other safety programs as well. So like if you have a forklift safety program, so on and so forth, uh, this would also roll into that. So, um, but my question for you is that I know you're giving a lot of advice and stuff like that, but has any lawsuits came out of COVID? Has any employee sued an employer based on COVID policies and procedures? Um, yes. <laughs> And in fact, on our website, <laughs> I hate to sound like a commercial, but we have a tracker uh, of cases uh, nationally uh, that are related to COVID. So there's been a significant amount of litigation uh, of varying types. Um, you know, uh, not that we handled this case, but you know, there was the case just decided the other day involving Houston Methodist Hospital, but there's been cases like that um, not perhaps as you know newsworthy, but you know employees are suing. Let's say for why did you choose me for furlough? So we're going back on the timeline, right? Um, because I was you know 68 years old, and you chose only people who were certain age, right? You know the company says, well, we were doing a furlough. We had to shut down a part of our business, but still employees were claiming that they were selected. Now, also on the flip side, people are returning to work, and it's like, why didn't you choose me? You know, I'm on furlough, you chose them, and people are uh, filing claims. There have been some claims of uh, discrimination uh, based on medical, uh, you know, disability uh, under that umbrella. Um, there are uh, various claims that, um, you know, pretty much any claim that you can think of, you know, based on leave, um, they w were discouraged from taking leave. They were retaliated against for taking leave. Um, it's not specific COVID, but it grows out of a COVID fact scenario. Sure. That's why they were on leave or things of that nature. Um, I believe there also have been some claims um, whereby you know, people have said, you know, I got COVID and it's your fault. Um, you know, I think that the general response by employers is that, that if that if even somebody were able to establish that they got it at work, that that would be a workers' comp issue. So it would be handled in the workers' comp arena and not in a litigation, right? Um, because that would just be like another injury at work. Um, but um, yeah, so there have been hundreds, hundreds of sure. cases. Gotcha, well thank you for that. Well this time I'm um, just gonna ask you guys if you wanted to just have a, a quick closing remark or two as we wound down our question portion of our program. So just if you want to just start with Colleen and just kind of anything you want us to want to share just in, in terms of a, just a closing remark before we wrap up. Sure. So, you know, from the perspective of promoting emotional wellness in the workplace, we know that this past year has been like no other. People have faced grief, loss, and isolation. And as we look to bring more people on site, if that's the direction we're heading, we need to be cognizant of that and be supportive. I mean, and that's, that's what I'm gonna encourage employers to do, to be supportive of your workforce and to give people space to um, reacclimate to the workplace. And I think, you know, we've said it a number of times, communication is key in all of this. People are still fearful, you know, of the pandemic, of returning to work. And I think we need to try to be supportive and address safety concerns the best that we can 
and just recognize that people have really been through a lot this past year. Yes, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I'd just like to say that when this first started, when COVID first started, um, OSHA did not give us too much information. Uh, when it came to safety-related issues, uh, every day we were waiting for OSHA to give us some sort of information. Uh, however, they have now given us a wealth of information. So you could simply go to OSHA's website and there is a ton of information on how to properly deal with your employees in dealing with a pandemic. Um, with that said, we need to be careful because now those aren't recommendations, those are requirements, and we have to make sure that we're implementing those requirements. I'm not gonna say they're easy, I'm not gonna say they're um, coherent, but they are there and we need to weed through them. Uh, so please make sure as you move forward, as with all safety programs, this was uh, COVID now will be another standard in OSHA's uh, book. So mm -hmm. you have an instance, um, an illness, where they can prove that yes, absolutely, they got it from work, uh, you could look for OSHA violations. And then the last thing is we have to be careful when we do our OSHA 300 log at the end of the year. We really need to have a conversation uh, whether or not those illnesses end up on your OSHA 300 log. Uh, it goes two ways. One, we don't want to admit anything that needs to be on your OSHA log, but at the same time, we have to be careful what does go on there because any illness is instantly 14 days away from work, and that is going to crush your workman's comp insurance. So uh, it definitely needs to be a discussion when it comes time. Thank you. Jeff. Thank you. Um, I, 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 what I'd like to say is I want to direct my comments specifically to small businesses because this is, after all, a small business task force. Um, and that is no matter how many employees you have, the laws still apply. I mean, maybe FMLA doesn't, but laws still apply. And what we try to do is work with business owners as partners to help them, you know, navigate you know, the best way, considering the resources available, which is not the same as, you know, major corporations, but yet to still find themselves in compliance. I think that, you know, if you say, well, we're a small business, nobody's going to find out about us, or, you know, we've been doing it like this for 30 years, I think that's a mistake. Um, you know, I think that there's some form of compliance with whatever laws you're talking about, whether it's COVID-related, uh, health and safety, discrimination, sexual harassment, I mean, whatever it is, you know, don't ignore the legal component. There, there's still a way that you can get protected uh, and we can work with you preventively to help, uh, you know, avoid you becoming like the test case. So, and I want to just thank everybody and HIA for inviting me to participate. Well, great, thank you very much. And Elizabeth. I'm, I'm going to talk about communication again because I, I believe regardless of the size of your staff, if you're not communicating well with them, they're going to make decisions or they're going to make assumptions on their own. And I think that, you know, you have to be nimble, you have to communicate it, you have to um, be compassionate during especially times like this. And, and I, I believe, you know, when you're talking to employees, ask a lot of questions. Uh, rather than assuming, you know, assuming a mental illness issue or assuming uh, anything else that may be going on, just ask questions um, and and train people well. 
so training and development, you know, is, is key, I think, as well, especially for managers, you know, first-line managers. And thank you for yes, having me. Yes, thank you, of course. And so c communication, I mean, that's one of our overarching words, I think, that came out of this, that we could just understand it's so important to communicate, even if you feel it's not, you know, it's not, uh, you know, earth-shattering, the fact that employers uh, need to share this so employees feel valued. Because really, well, that's what it comes down to. And that will help with a multitude of things, won't it? When the, employer, when the employee feels like, you know what, this company cares for me and from the top down, and that's such a key thing. That was one of the takeaways I think we got from, from uh, this time this morning. Well, let's just thank our panelists for a great job uh, for this. And uh, our first, yes, and, and Tony Joy is going to come up to kind of close us out. So. Awesome. Can we just give our panelists and, and Joe again another round of applause? Thank you. Um, you know, thank you, Joe, for uh, just leading such an insightful and well-needed discussion this morning. And again, thank you to our panelists for taking the time out of your day to join us and um, just share your insightful information as well. So. Um, so I just wanted to again thank everyone who joined us um, in person today as well as on our live stream in addition to all of our board members again for all that they do um, for us and helping to support programs like we have this morning. So but that, thank you all again for joining us today. Hope you all stay safe and healthy and um, we look forward to seeing you at our next program. Have a great day everyone. Business Steps Up is a production of HIALI, one of the recognized voices for business on Long Island and a powerful voice and economic engine for regional development. Check back for more interesting, thought-provoking episodes with some of Long Island's most influential business leaders. For more information, call us at 631-543-5355 or log on to hia-li.org.